a number of years ago, Deb and I had a chance to go to Brazil, and we saw Iguazu Falls in Brazil. They're eight times the size of Niagara. That's the picture of God's love that just keeps washing over us. Let's pray. God, we're, we just sit in awe of the fact that your love knows no bounds. That no matter where we are, no matter where we've been, no matter what's happened in our life, your love just continues to wash over us. God, we thank you. We thank you for that incredible love. We thank you that we can't wrap our, our minds around that. That it goes on and on and on. God, thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How's everybody doing? Hey, we're glad you're here. If it's your first time, welcome. We've got some books coming down. We ask everybody to fill those out. That's a cool thing. That way we can send you a note and say, thanks for coming. Uh, offering in just a second as well. I want to tell you, just as we're kind of talking through stuff, uh, several things that are, that are happening. This Saturday, this Saturday, if you have any chance of clearing out your schedule, if you haven't already planned on doing this, this Saturday, 9 o'clock, um, we're going to have uh, somewhere 150, 200 people here at North Point to help pack food that's going to go to Haiti. We're going to pack meals for 60,000 people, 60,000 in two hours, and you could be a part of that. It's the most incredibly cool experience you'll, you'll uh, be a part of. How many did it last year? Did you like it? Well, that was pretty weak. Did you like it? Yes. If you don't have your hand up, somebody's going to talk to you and say, you should do this. Um, you can sign up now. You can go to the website and do it. You can go out to the Connect booth and, uh, and do it after the service. It's, it's a cool thing. If, you, if you're tied up and you can't be here on Saturday, but you want to be a part of it, the cost for the supplies is about $12,000. It's, it, it's, it's really pretty incredible what, what happens. That's about 20 cents a meal. 60,000 meals. Um, it, it, you know, it, it's, uh, it's not very much. So if you can help, most people when they're working in those two hours can help pack about 350 meals by themselves, which is cool. 350 meals. So if, uh, if you know, if you want to give to help do that, all you need to do is just kind of write a check or go online and do that and just in the notation mark put food pack and we'll get it there, get it taken care of and all will be well. Um, the... Uh, Second thing I wanted, I just want to share before I jump into the message is um, I was talking to Amy Beltran, our missions resident, this week, and and she said, "What's going on in Ecuador? We haven't talked about Ecuador for a long time." Here's the scoop: if uh, if you were around last uh, Christmas, we took up a special offering. The church um, donated some money to help plant a church in Ecuador. The cost of that plant for facilities, for ground, and for the first three months of support for the children in that community uh, in partnership with Compassion International is about $87,000. Um, we, we sent a check for $43,500 for half the cost of the plant, which is cool, but they don't start the plant until they have all the money in hand to do it. So, um, so I just talked to them this past week. They have a, a church out in Illinois that has sent them a check for $25,000 that they're putting with our forty three five. Um, so they're about 20,000 short for this plant. Once that comes in, 
I'll, I'll let you know that. We'll start the process of uh, talking about what the next steps as a part of being that project are. And if you just happen to have your checkbook and want to write a check for 20000 today, we can uh, send that in. We'll get that going. That would be an incredibly cool thing. I just saw a wife poke her husband. Um, that, that's the, I, I won't tell you where I was looking. Um, cool thing. Um, the, uh, the last thing, uh, we're, we've been in this series called Living the Dream from the book of Philippians. It's been a really cool series. I was talking to some people between first and second, and they said, man, just loving this. And it's been really fun for me to study through it and be able to, to speak. Um, we, next week is our last week in this series. Today we're in Philippians 4. If, uh, ultimately, if you w- want to get your Bibles out and go there, that's where we're going to jump in in a, in a second. But in two weeks, we're starting a new series. And, uh, uh, and the title of the series is What's in a Story? And each week, for I think uh, five, six weeks, we're going to look at one of the parables of Jesus and just talk about what Jesus was trying to communicate in that parable. It's going to be a really cool series. Really, really excited about where that's going to go, and uh, that'll take us down into June. Um, In 1978, I was a sophomore in college, and uh, I traveled in a a group that, that I I sang in a group that traveled um, from the college, Cincinnati Christian University, and we traveled all over kind of the Midwest to, to uh, talk about the college, to talk to students. And we went, one of the towns that we went to and we sang in their church was in Meadville, Pennsylvania. I remember that weekend in, Mead, in Meadville very specifically because I stayed with a family that had a son in high school. His name was Brett Andrews. And, um, and as a ninth grader, I think he was, you know, I think he was actually in eighth grade at that point in time. As an eighth grader, he said, I want to be a preacher when I finish with high school. I want to go to, I want to, go to school and I want to be a preacher. And ultimately, I, I want to plan a church, I think. As an eighth grader, he thought that. I, it was kind of a fun conversation. Um, we kind of kept in touch after that weekend. When I graduated from Cincinnati Christian University the next year, uh, Brett came as a student. Um, Deb and I be, uh, served in Columbus, Ohio at a church um, and, uh, and then moved out to Maryland and, and we're outside Washington, D.C. When Brett graduated, we talked again and, um, and there was a, another church in Northern Virginia that was looking for an associate minister and I was able to kind of connect Brett with this church and he moved out to D.C. and we were able to kind of do ministry together about, we lived uh, 30 minutes, an hour away from each other and, and it was a really cool thing. In 1994, Brett and his wife and about 12 to 15 people gathered in his living room and began to talk about Brett's dream to plant a church that would reach people who were far from Jesus, people who didn't have any sense of who Jesus was and what it meant to follow him. Um, And that this church somehow, Brett didn't know what it would look like, but that this church would somehow help plant other churches that would reach people who were far from Jesus. Um, That small group of people, that group of 15 people or so, became a group of about 40 people that first met in a funeral home parlor uh, as as the church started. They didn't meet there for very long because who wants to go to church at a funeral home, right? Um, They moved from there to to um, to a hotel conference room and met there for a while. 
the, the church grew from 40 to 100 to 300. They moved to a middle school and were in the middle school for a long time. Ultimately, they were six, 700 um, and, and moved into a high school, a brand new high school that opened in um, Centerville, Chantilly, Virginia. A really, really cool story. Brett had this dream that, it would, that this church would reach people that, that didn't know Jesus at all. And it, and it came true. People there began to come to know Jesus, and they were people that had not been to church when they were kids. They were people who were far from God. Um, their their um, associate minister that, that Brett had on staff there, he uh, served there for several years, and he left um, the, the church and went to Virginia Beach and planted a church there, a church that was for homeless and hookers on Virginia Beach people disenfranchised far from God. Really cool story. And, and, and I remember Brett saying, I, I don't know what it means to be a church planting church, but we helped plant this church in Virginia Beach. That's a, that's a cool thing. That's a, that's a cool thing. Um, in, uh, in the, at Easter of 2001, they launched their second campus about 25 minutes from where they were in, in, um, in Centerville Chantilly. And in the summer of 2001, I came and joined the staff. I was on staff there for seven years. Incredibly cool thing to, to work there and to see people who were far from God come to know him and have their lives turned upside down by Jesus. Um, the, the people in the church there were people who worked on Capitol Hill, people who worked in the CIA, um, people who were part of the security detail for the Secret Service for the president that ran alongside him. There were people who were plumbers and electricians and people who ran restaurants. There were people there who were actors, people who were strippers that, that became followers of Jesus in, the, in this church. It was an incredibly cool thing to be a part of that and, to, and to, be, to have this sense of God using me there to help lead people to Jesus. It, it, it just was a, a really cool thing. About uh, two months ago, I got this phone call from this uh, I pick up the phone in my office, and this guy says, Hey, my name's Matt. I'm from Northern Virginia. I go to New Life Christian Church. Um, I've heard about you for the last five or six years over and over again, and I always said, I would love to meet you if ever I get the chance. I'm coming to Michigan. Could I take you to lunch? Well, who refuses a chance to go to lunch, right? So, uh, so I say, yeah, so he comes. So the day after Easter, the Monday after Easter, Matt and his, uh, his girlfriend, Erin, came, came in the office. We sat down and talked, and they began to tell me their story of how they had come to know Jesus. Matt works for a, a defense contractor. He's, he's uh, successful in that role. Um, God's using them in, in some cool ways um, Aaron had been a high school kid when, when we moved from there and, um, and had some tough stuff, but she had just started to come to church, was, was doing some volunteer stuff while I was there. And as we talked and they talked about how Jesus had turned their lives upside down, I, w I was in awe because the people that I had invested in for the seven years that we were part of New Life were the exact same people that God had used in Matt and Aaron's lives to teach them about Jesus, to teach them what it meant to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus. Such an incredibly cool thing. Um, Matt's the, Matt is the, the ministry leader for their Celebrate Recovery ministry at, at New Life. Um, big ministry, helping people with hurts, habits, and hang-ups overcome their addictions, their issues with sin, 
because of the power of Jesus. It, such an incredible, cool thing as, as we talked about the, the way that our lives had intersected. And he finally said, he said, um, you know why I'm here? And I said, well, yeah, I mean, you said you, you, you wanted to meet me. He said, I'm in, the, I'm in Michigan for this church planting seminar that's taken place at Great Lakes Christian College in Lansing. And when I looked and saw that you're like two miles away, I said, this is it. He said, I'm here because God has called me to plant a church in Marquette, Michigan. Um, and I, I just kind of fell apart because it was such a cool thing to recognize the way that God works in our past and our present. We've been in this series of Philippians, and I thought, this is the way. This is the way that Paul had to feel when he got reports from the church in Philippi. These people who had been far from Jesus and had come to know him, and he saw them growing. He, he heard about what was going on, and he was jazzed to say, oh, that person became a follower of Jesus too. And he was grieved when somebody sent word and said, yeah, those people have walked away. They're, they're not living out their faith anymore. That was what I was experiencing. That leads us into chapter 4 because Paul's in the last part of the journey in his letter to the, to the Philippians. The last part of it. And, and he says in chapter 4, verse 1, these words, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Do you hear the relationship again? between Paul and the, and the church in Philippi. It wasn't just this casual kind of thing. It, it wasn't that Paul was this, this hierarchical leader um, uh, pronouncing uh, judgment on the church in Philippi. There was this love relationship for him. He, this is the church that in the beginning of the letter, he said, I thank God every time I remember you because of your faith. That out of that relationship, Paul says, hey, Stand firm in the Lord. Stand firm in the Lord. Stand firm in the Lord. That's, that's the word for us today. Stand firm in the Lord. Somewhere about 60 years ago, um, my dad and my mom moved to Michigan. Um, they traveled back to Ohio, and my grandfather said these words that are not his words. You've probably heard them over and over again. But he said these words to my father as he traveled back with lots of little kids, he said, when they left, he said, keep on keeping on. Keep on keeping on. About 35 years ago, when Deb and I left Ohio and moved to Maryland, we'd come back to Ohio. Every time we'd leave, Dad would say, keep on keeping on. Keep on keeping on. Already with my kids, I say to them, keep on keeping on. Keep on... That's what Paul says to the church in Philippi, stand firm in the Lord. What's that keep on keeping on all about? That, in our context, in the context of my family, it, is, it means this. You've been taught well. You know the things to do. You, you're, God has given you wisdom to be able to lead, to be able to parent, to be able to love your spouse well. Keep on keeping on. Keep doing those things. You know the right things to do. Keep doing them. And that's what Paul says to the church in Philippi. That's what Paul says to us this morning. Stand firm in the Lord. 
Verse 2, he says, I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, to help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Paul says, hey, you want to live the dream? Here's what you got to do. You got to clean up your relational baggage. The messes that exist in your life relationally, you got to take care of them. We don't know a lot about Iodia and Syntyche, except that their names are really hard to say, right? I, keep, I, I said uh, to John and Courtney Furden, Courtney's our children's minister who's like eight and a half months pregnant, uh, I said, you know, Syntyche would be a great name for this baby. Syntyche Furden. Yodia? You know, hey, Yodia, come here. Uh, we don't know. Uh, their names are, are strange. Here's what we do know. Paul says that they um, have labored side by side with me in the gospel. They were valuable members of the team in Philippi. God had used them in significant ways to touch the lives of others. And yet there's this separation, this conflict, this division among them in the church that has them probably sitting on opposite sides of the auditorium, opposite sides of the room, avoiding each other. And Paul says, hey man, you, you got to help them come together to agree in the Lord. Paul says to them, clean up your mess. Stop fussing and fighting. Stop holding a grudge. Get it together. Can you imagine that in a church that was planted by the Apostle Paul, that there were problems? By the Apostle Paul, there were problems. There were people whose lives had been radically changed by Jesus. How could it be that two leaders in that context could be at odds with each other? It's pretty simple because wherever there are people, there are problems. You know, you put people together, there, there are going to be issues. Um, William Barclay, a, a, a theologian from the early part of the 20th century, said this, A quarreling church is no church at all, for it's one from which Christ has been shut out. No man can be at peace with God and at variance with his fellow men. Paul wrote to the church in Rome and said, as far as it's possible with you, live at peace with all men. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. How do you do that? When you're in conflict with somebody in the body or outside the body, how do you resolve that conflict? There's lots of, lots of different techniques and tools you can do. That I, I want to just, I want to give you two things that are simple. The first thing is this. It needs to be face-to-face. -face. If, if you're in conflict relationally with somebody, you got to sit down and talk about it. you got to look each other in the eye. It's not the kind of thing that can, that can happen um, through a third party or you need to talk about it. And here's the second thing, and I think that this may be the easiest and the hardest. When you're in conflict with somebody, pray diligently for that person. Pray that God would bless them. Don't ask God to change their heart. Don't ask God to help them see their, their sin. Ask God to bless that person in incredible ways, to bless them in their marriage, to bless them in their work, to bless them in their finances, to bless them in their witness for Jesus. 
Pray that from the depths of your heart and see if God doesn't bring you back together and join you together in the Lord. Have you ever thought, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be the coolest thing in the world to have your name in the Bible? You know, to, to, be, to have people read the Bible and read your name? You know, if Peter, uh, when, when the Bible's compiled, people are reading about Peter walking on water with Jesus. That's, that's pretty cool, right? If you're the Roman centurion, yeah, you're the guy that Jesus said, I haven't seen faith like yours in all of Israel because this Roman centurion said to Jesus, can you heal my son? You don't even have to come. Just say the word and he'll be healed. Wouldn't it be cool to have your name in the Bible? Yodia and Syntyche, their name's there. And I think that they probably would wish that it wasn't because it's there because they couldn't work out their differences. Think for a second what it would have been like in the first century. When Paul wrote this letter to the church in Philippi, how did, what happened with that? That letter was hand-carried and delivered to the church in Philippi. The church in Philippi would have heard about that letter coming. There's this letter coming from Paul. Get everybody together. We're going to read it together. And when the letter came, someone would stand up among the body of believers and read this letter how cool would it have been to have the church there together and to have Paul say, man, I thank God every time I remember you. We've got this connection. Man, I, I just love you guys so much. And the, and the church would have grieved when they heard Paul say, you know, I don't know whether it's better to live or die. Because to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And for the church to recognize Paul's in jail and he's probably going to die in jail. To have Paul talk about Jesus and to just be inspired by this concept that, that Paul would say, Jesus, who being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he humbled himself and he made himself a servant. They, they, they had to just get fired up when they heard Paul say, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. I want to join in this suffering so that I can experience the resurrection along with Jesus. They, they had to be challenged when, when Paul said, yeah, Epaphroditus and Timothy, you've got to have a support team. These guys have been valuable to me. You've got to have people like that in your life. And can you imagine when that letter was being read, the hush that fell over the audience when Paul says, yeah, I urge Yodia and Syntyche to get it together to agree in the Lord, and all of a sudden, you see Yodia, her face flush, her head go down, the opposite side, Syntyche, same deal, and the people who are beside them are kind of moving away because they don't know if the lightning's going to come down, you know? Think about how awkward that would have been. One of two things happened after that letter was read. One of two things, and we don't know. Either in some time after the letter was read, those relationships were mended. And there was an incredible sense of God's goodness in the forgiveness of that moment. Or they separated and split apart. And the church was wounded and damaged even greater. Paul, Paul doesn't take sides in that. He just says, you know what? Agree in the Lord, you guys. Get your stuff together. Um, and, and Paul says... He says to his fellow companion, we don't know who that is, but Paul says, hey, to my fellow companion, help those ladies, help those women. 
um, that mandate from Paul, it, it could have been to one of the elders, it could have been to Timothy, it might have been to Epaphroditus, we don't know who it was from, but Paul said, help these women work it out. If you're an elder here at North Point, that challenge is to you. If you're a life group leader here at North Point, that challenge is to you. Help them work it out. If you're a fully devoted follower of Jesus, if you're mature in your faith, that message is to you. Help the people who are in conflict work it out. If you're a friend of somebody who's in conflict, help them work it out. Paul says in, in verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say it, rejoice. Paul says, if you want to live the dream, choose joy. Choose joy. Joy is an attitude and uh, it's an expression. It's a perspective on life that we choose to have or not to have. It is a fruit of the Spirit. It's something that when God is working us, that, that joy comes in and is a part of our lives. But joy comes not because of our circumstances, but because of our perspective. Because we see the way that God is at work, it allows us to have joy regardless of the circumstances. In, in the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament, the, the Hebrew nation had been exiled. They had left, they had been forced to leave Jerusalem, had been, had been gone for lots and lots and lots of years. And they come back to rebuild the city and rebuild the city walls. And in the process of that, they discover God's word, the scrolls, for the first time in a long time. They pull out the scrolls and they begin to read God's word. And, and what's described in Nehemiah is an incredible thing. It, it draws the people to their knees. They grieve because they had forgotten what it looked like to live with God. They're overcome with guilt and shame and grief. And you know what Nehemiah says in, in chapter 8? He says, don't grieve. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Out of that grief, allow God's presence to come into your life and recognize that once God's word is in you, everything's going to change. The joy of the Lord is your strength. We're responsible for our joy. If we don't have joy, it's our fault because we choose to look at the things around us rather than at Jesus. The devil knows how to steal our joy. He knows exactly what buttons to push in our lives to drive us away from God. But again, joy is not about circumstances. It's about God. When we rejoice in the Lord, we see things from God's perspective. How do you rejoice when you've lost your job? I think that it's in knowing that God is going to take care of you. He's promised that he'd do that. How do you rejoice when you're rejected by a friend? You rejoice because you know Jesus is never going to reject you. How do you rejoice when you see injustice in the world? I think it's in the words of Thomas Jefferson, it's recognizing that God is just and his justice will not remain silent forever. How do you rejo rejoice when you're fighting depression or illness or disease or death? It's in knowing that Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. It's in knowing that in our weakness, he's made strong. It's in knowing that, 
the afflictions that we experience here in this life, they're temporary. God has the ability to sustain us through the most difficult of, of moments when we see from his eyes and not just from the eyes of our circumstances. Verse six or verse uh, five, Paul goes on and says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Paul says, you want to live the dream? Trust instead of worry. Trust instead of worry. He, he says, let your gentleness, your forbearance, your moderation be known to all. That word is a difficult word to translate from the Greek because it's, it's used um, really very sparingly, but there's this sense of gentleness and patience that meld together in that. When Paul says, let your moderation, let your forbearance be known to all. Um, and he says, he's, there's a phrase in there that I, I just think is incredible. He says, recognize this, the Lord is near, the Lord's at hand. Think about the reality of this, that no matter what's going on in your life, one of two things could happen at any moment. Jesus could return and take us home. Yeah. Or, or we could die and we could go home to be with Jesus. In a moment, either of those two things could happen. The problem with us is this. We forget that, right? We forget and we pay attention to all the stuff around us. And it sometimes swamps us down. Paul says, let your forbearance be known to all. The Lord is near. But in everything, with prayer and supplication, give your request to God with thanksgiving. Um, what is it that you're anxious about this morning? What causes that anxiety? Are you focused on yourself? Are you insecure? Do you have trust issues? Is there a history of disappointment in your life? Are there things from your past that just keep bubbling up? Are you worried about the future and what the future will look like? Do you have stuff going on in your body that you don't have any control over? Do you have safety and security issues. What are you anxious about? Paul says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, present your request to God with thanksgiving. When we get anxious, when we worry, our mind gets distracted, right? It gets in this place and it just kind of, it gets caught in this death loop of anxiety. Anxiety in our life makes us the Lord of our lives. You hear that? When we're anxious, it's because we're on the throne. Warren Wiersbe has said, worry is the great thief of joy. Jesus said this, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not like the world gives do I give to you. Don't let your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Peace I leave with you. Whatever's going on in your life, whatever, whatever is demanding your attention, pray and give it to God with thanksgiving. Verse 7, And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God is the evidence that we're living the dream that He has for our lives, right? 
when we're living in anxiety, when we don't have that peace, it, it, it's, a, it's a sign to remind us that we've lost track of who God is. Peace is not the absence of conflict in our life. Peace is not the absence of conflict. It's the presence of Jesus, right? Peace is the presence of Jesus in our lives. That peace of God that Paul talks about, it's not artificial. It's not the kind of thing that we can work and say, oh, I, you know, I'm going to do this or that or whatever so that I can experience peace. It's not that at all. It's not a fake peace. It's not something that we can manufacture. It's not something that if we just concentrate more, if we just do these things, that that peace will come. The peace of God comes from taking our worries and giving them to God in prayer, from placing those worries on God's lap. When we stop trying to control the results, when we stop trying to control our environment, when we stop trying to, control, to be in control and to be in charge, and instead ask God to do those things, and we trust that He will, God's peace comes in and fills us up. We don't have to carry the burden. We don't have to get frustrated when the results don't meet our expectations. When we trust Him, peace is the natural result of His presence in our lives. Verse 8, Paul says, Finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, Whatever's commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. You want to live the dream? Focus your mind in the right places. When I was a kid, um, I've, I've said before, I grew up in a great home, great parents. They, you know, they weren't perfect. My family wasn't perfect, but I grew up in a, I grew up in a pretty good situation. And, and all my life, I've had the ability to just kind of go to sleep at night, fall asleep, sleep through to the morning. Um, if you were to ask Deb, she gets really frustrated because I laid down and about 30 seconds later, I'm out. Um, it's not the case for her. I, I can remember as a kid, though, one specific night, because it, it, it probably only happened two or three times in my life that I can remember, I had this tremendous nightmare as, a, as probably an uh, eight, nine-year-old kid. Um, I, I can't remember exactly what it was about, but I remember having this sense of fear and terror that woke me up, you know, the hot, sweaty body, the whole thing, jumping out of bed and running down the hallway to my mom and dad's bedroom knocking on the door, open the door, dad's half asleep, and I said, I, I have a nightmare. Dad waking up, you know, middle of it. He said, he, he said, think of good things. I was an eight or nine-year-old kid and thought, okay. Walked back down the hallway, hopped in bed. I've got this terror. What, what good things can I think about? And as an as a eight- or nine-year-old kid, here's what I thought about. I, I remember laying in bed that night and thinking about playing baseball all day long. I remembered thinking about sunsets at Crystal Lake in Michigan. And I remembered thinking about orange sherbet ice cream cones. Um, <laughs> you know, but a pretty incredible thing. And you know what happened? I fell asleep and slept through the night. 
Think about good things. Paul says, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, if there's anything excellent, anything of good repute, let your mind dwell on these things. Think about the stuff that's from God that's good and holy. What kind of stuff fills your minds? What kind of things capture your attention on a daily basis? What do, you, what do you read? What do you listen to? What do you watch on TV? What kind of movies do you watch? How do they line up with this passage of Scripture? Whatever's true, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's of good repute, if there's anything excellent or worthy of praise, think on these things. You know what Paul says? When you begin to do that, the peace of God will come in and fill you up in an incredible way. Focus on the right things. What we think about matters. Um, Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, um, and what he said was, the battle that exists in our lives, the spiritual battle that exists in our lives is a battle that takes place in our mind. It's not a battle of flesh and blood. It's a battle that takes place in our mind. He says this in 2 Corinthians 10. For though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take captive every thought to obey Christ being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. That phrase in there is a phrase that you can grab hold of and hold on to, to take captive every thought for Jesus, every thought in your brain, to take captive, to capture, and make it the thoughts of Jesus. What we think about matters. What we think about affects those people in our lives. What we think about matters and it impacts and affects the church. Paul says in verse 9, what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. You want to live the dream? Practice, practice, practice. I don't know if you've ever heard this phrase, but I heard it a lot in my education. The teacher is never taught until the learner has learned. Those words haunted me when I was teaching in a classroom, because I could, I could I could spew lots of information, but until the students got that information and were able to internalize it and put it into practice, I hadn't really taught. All I had done is talked, right? The teacher has not taught until the learner has learned. Learning means that we put into practice what God has called us to do, what God has taught us. Um, you know, from an educational standpoint, they say that there are uh, four or five different kinds of learners. There are visual learners, people who learn by the things that they see. Auditory learners, people who learn by the things that they hear. Kinesthetic learners, people who learn by doing things. Um, there are logical learners, people that learn because what they hear makes sense to them, and all of a sudden, in, that, in the logic of that, they're able to take that, internalize it, and put it into practice. It's interesting to me, when you read verse 9, you see all of that. What is it that Paul says? What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, 
practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. When my girls were little, they were a part of a sport that I never knew existed. Competitive jump roping. Anybody ever seen competitive jump roping? They're competitive jump rope coaches. It's the most incredible things. They had this team and they would do all their routines, their, their deals, you know, doing all the stuff, all, all, all of it. But the thing that I remember about the competitive jump roping team was that their coach said something really incredible. She said to them over and over again, practice, you got to practice, you got to practice, because practice makes permanent. She didn't say, practice makes perfect, which is what I had always heard in my coaching stuff. People would always say, oh yeah, you know, practice makes perfect. Practice doesn't make perfect because if you practice it incorrectly, the result is that you're doing it incorrectly. Practice makes permanent. And so her challenge to those kids jumping rope was practice the right things, those skills over and over again, those basic skills, and put them, put them together. Here's the challenge for us. Paul says, those things that you've seen and heard from me, that you've received from, from me, put them into practice. The bottom line out of today's message is this, what's God's word say and what are you going to do with it? It's not enough to just simply hear those words and say, oh, that was good. It's a good message. Yeah, I needed to hear that. The bottom line is whether or not you put it into practice, whether it impacts our lives on a daily basis. We're going we're gonna to stand and sing in just a second. And, um, you know, last week we had a chance for people to come down and pray. I, I really encouraged you to do that. I, th I thought that it fit. I wasn't going to do that today, but with this song that comes, it fits. Again, it just fixed, fits great. Let me just say this. Use this song to talk to God. If you want to come down and pray while we sing, that's incredibly cool. If you've got a question about who Jesus is and what it means to follow him, come down, find me. We'll, t we'll talk about that. The bottom line is God wants you to experience the peace that comes from him and it comes from putting into practice the stuff that we've talked about today. Let's stand together and let's sing.